Wow, everybody. We always talk. Every time we do a show, we talk about how good the matches have been. And every day we do a show again, it just gets better and better. What an outstanding day of this World Cup competition. The competition that just keeps on giving and two more matches to talk about for tomorrow as well. This is Fine Margins on the Hammer Betting Network presented by the Betfred Sportsbook. Make sure you have signed up to the Betfred Sportsbook for all of your sports betting needs throughout the World Cup and just beyond the sport, go into other sports, go into other soccer competitions as well. But on this show, we like to talk about what we saw from the day of World Cup action and preview the next matches with our best betting angles. And to do that, once again, Alex is back and Paul is rejoining us. And uh, I think we have to start with Alex on this one. We'll go to the Dutch game first of all here because that's fresh on our minds having just ended five minutes ago. You're in the orange. Um, you spoke briefly right before we started about it. Just your overall thoughts on the Dutch in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, they were today they were undeserving of going through. Obviously, they had that late push, which was great. Um, took them about 75 minutes to realize they were about eight inches taller than everyone else on the pitch. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, a really clever, you know, a really clever set piece. We saw um, Leghorst do that with uh, Wolfsburg not too long ago as well. So, they, man, yep. they just uh, – they just – they just took them too long to get into this game. And then at that point, you know, they kind of felt like, I think, you know, they were just happy to get the game at extra time at that point, And they were just sort of hanging on. Um, it's tough. Emmy Martinez, hell of a penalty keeper. Uh, we saw it in the Copa America as well. You know, he really, he's really great. Um, Van Dyke and uh, Van Dyke and Berghaus. I mean, not bad penalties by any means. They struck them pretty, pretty well, decent height for him, but like just some great saves. And I, I thought that, as, as great as that comeback was, Argentina were deserving of going through. But I think that, you know, there are still like, you can't be convinced from anything you've seen from Argentina at this tournament so far. Uh, they haven't had the toughest competition. They almost blew it against Australia. And now, you know, I mean, you'd like to think they have enough to get past Croatia. But I mean, Croatia are proving time and time again, they're just that tournament hardened team that's tough to beat. Very stubborn team in Croatia. I'm sure they'd rather play them than Brazil, though. And uh, Paul, we'll go to you. Clinging on to your Argentina outright ticket still. We're into the semifinals here. What were your thoughts on the performance today? Yeah, I'm smiling not just because of that, but I cashed on Argentina to win this on spot kicks at 9.0. So, um, I'm, nice. yeah, they made me sweat for it in the end. Um, but I, I don't there. So, I'm yeah, I'm pretty happy. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, Alex... I concur so much with his thoughts. If if the Dutch had played with a bit more urgency from about 60 minutes or 50 minutes rather than the last 15 minutes, it could have been a really testing period for Argentina at, at the end there. And I don't know, I, I just feel like the, the Dutch team just don't really know what they are. Um, they end the match with Luke de Jong and Weghorst to set our forwards in the game. It's like, <laughs> it's so anti-Dutch and everything that they do and, and certainly not what Louis van Gaal would, would preach in the past and yet they almost got it done and um, that's been the beauty of this World Cup teams who look unconventional and aren't really sure about how they play and how they want to play somehow getting over the line we saw it with Croatia earlier um, like I, I, how, are still, how are Croatia still in this tournament guys I, I just I oh it's crazy I can't I work it yeah. out um, we talk about on this show and, and Jacob we did it during the season talking about Premier Leagues and we're looking at trends and we're looking at data over an ext- extended period of time like what Croatia are doing right now would just make me want to rip up every maths book possible and just say, let's just forget it and just go in feeling because every every single time the Belgium game, you've got Lukaku missing those chances. Morocco should probably have beat them. Japan should probably have beat them. Brazil should probably have beat them. And yet they're still here. It's it's crazy. So um so yeah, I I yeah, 
even though this is a betting podcast, that Argentina versus Croatia game, to me, total toss-up. I have no idea what's going to happen there. Yeah, what did you think of that penalty, by the way, the uh, for that Argentina second goal? I thought that was incredibly soft. Um, it didn't end up changing. It didn't end up changing things because, like, ultimately the Dutch press they get that equalizer. They're probably not scoring twice if they're not down two nothing. But I just, I mean, you can't give the ref a decision to make. But I thought that was brutal. He had he had a terrible game. This Spanish referee, uh, he's I, had a, a it was bad, bad history. Game. He's yeah. had a bad history too. I mean, just it was yeah. It's just not what you want to see. I mean, yeah, like, like to, to let your, the listeners know, I, I always used to cover La Liga. That was my league. So I'm very familiar with Mr. Lahoz. And it seems like it seems like in the UK, we always forget about him because he always appears on a Champions League quarterfinal or semifinal. And people talk about him. Then no one mentions him again for another year. And all of a sudden, he comes out of hibernation and he puts himself centre of attention. Then he books 10 people and the game goes for 100 minutes. It, like, it happens every single year. This is no surprise. This is what he does. And... Um, FIFA seems to think he's a good referee and good at what he does. Everyone else seems to think the opposite. And tonight was the ultimate Lahore's performance in every capacity. He slowed the game down, petty fouls, booked everyone, booked people on the pitch, booked people off the pitch. Yeah, it, it was it was quintessential Lahore's. And um, to be honest, was almost in, in, in danger of ruining, ruining the spectacle of what was a really interesting game by the end because I, he was walking back to the centre circle to book guys during the penalty shootout. Yeah, like, yeah. what's that for? Why are you doing that? It's, yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, I thought his performance was um, was shocking and I'll be surprised if we see him again in this tournament. I'm stunned that we did not see a red card by the end of it too because he, he was yeah. itching and I, I honestly cannot believe it. And then, I mean, he's so quick to give out these yellows and then Messi with the deliberate handball to stop a break and then two successive fouls shortly yeah. after and he refuses to book him. It was just... He was all over the place. There was no consistency. It was it was a disaster. Yeah. Felt like a bit of a Spanish sort of Mike Dean performance here. Uh, more Premier League fans probably more accustomed to Mike Dean and uh, just a referee trying to make himself more of the center of attention than necessary, not allowing the game to transpire uh, the way the fans wanted to. Obviously, you've got to get involved in certain instances, but like try to keep the game going as much as possible. He failed to do that. And from a plus 900 ticket that cashes on penalties, uh, my plus 1,005 ticket lose on penalties. I had uh, the Dutch to steal this one on penalties. So uh, at least I did have this one to end in a draw, which it did, which somehow ends in a draw. Uh, I do want to talk about Argentina going forward here. So obviously, like Croatia, look, uh, uh, respectfully to Croatia, they're a stubborn team. They get results. They've only lost one World Cup match under the current manager. That was in a final. You'd rather play Croatia than Brazil. Some of the mistakes Argentina kind of made late would have me a little bit more fearful than they probably should be against Croatia, especially the way the free kick went in. The free kick in general, like that, there's two free kicks on the edge of the box. That one there is, is just so completely unnecessary by Pizella, who just barges into the striker's back. The ball's 10 feet in the air. He's backs to goal. No threat whatsoever. 100th minute, like, what's he going to do with his backs to goal? Just, just, just stand behind him and you're comfortable. Nothing's going to happen. But that, that's just, I, I, I think both games, it goes, it goes a distance because we'll get to this one. Brazil let in a bad goal, in my opinion. And that free kick probably should never happen. So just something to consider, but at least it did not cost him in this match. Uh, and as far as my thoughts on, on, Netherlands, to be honest, their starting 11, I thought, was a little bit more expansive than I thought it would be, having to pie as, as the 10 to start the game and going with that. That, that was an interesting decision to go with from the start there. Uh, I wasn't expecting that from Van Hall in, in, by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it's weird. It's kind of like going down one nothing. It doesn't seem like there's a ton of game plan there, but then 
I mean, they throw in everything, everything but the kitchen sink, and they end up getting the goals late. So uh, Argentina are through. Messi is through to play against Croatia. Croatia stunned the world by beating the favorites. Brazil, I think in our last show, we went to the, the futures, and Brazil were plus 190 to win the entire tournament before wow. the quarterfinals were even played, which is a, a stunning number. And you'd think just because, in theory, an easier quarterfinal, and they were the best team in the tournament going in, apparently. Uh, no futures as of yet. I'm just going to try to find anything to see if there's yeah, nothing quite yet for the futures markets. But Brazil, uh, they had it in their hands. It slips out. And Croatia just, again, dude on penalty, second World Cup in a row where they win two penalty shootouts to get to the semis. Let's start with Paul on this one. Uh, overall, your thoughts on the Brazil performance? I think we can all agree Brazil deserved to win, but not always how it pans out in the World Cup. Yeah, probably my biggest irritation about the game is that one of the greatest goals in World Cup history will ultimately count for nothing. That's probably the thing that irks me most. That was an absolutely outstanding piece of individual genius. <laughs> and it's just yep. so Croatia-like that a deflected goal that flies in the corner, then penalties gets them through. Um, they're becoming like the Bond villain of, the, of this tournament. In fact, <laughs> they remind me quite a lot of, of Argentina in 1990, where they have a technically capable midfield, but don't really have much going on around that, but somehow just get through game after game. Like Argentina knocked out one of the best Yugoslavia teams of all time in 90, um, in a really turgid affair where there was a lot of um, bad temper tackles and it finished 0-0 and it went to penalties and stuff like that. And for long stretches of that match today, it kind of reminded me of that. And um, what, But what can you say about Croatia, though? Like, It's not like the game finished 0-0 and they won on pens. Like, nobody at halftime and extra time would have gave them a chance. Like, nobody. They wouldn't yeah. have. Like, I certainly didn't. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know what the odds were in running, but I think it'd have been, it'd have been massive um, long shots to even get to, pen to penalty shootout. So you have to admire the utter resilience of this team that everybody keeps saying they're tired, they're running out of energy, they'll run out of energy eventually, <laughs> yeah, they, they, will, they will, they haven't yet, and we're now at the semi-final stage. And Modric seems to get stronger with every game that passes. It's almost like he didn't even make it to the penalty shootout against Japan. He was arguably the best 15 minutes of the tournament, potentially, in the second period of extra time here. Hits a penalty and scores. So who knows what he's going to be like by the by the, the same time in the Argentina game. So, and bear in mind, obviously that that Croatia, a better version of, of of Croatia, battered this Argentina team in 2018 in a comprehensive win in the group stages as well. So yep, they've got yeah, three there as well. So so yeah, like um, what can you say about about Croatia other than this is a team that knows how to win tournament football? And we've said that so many times on this podcast over the last few weeks. Being able to get it done within tournaments is almost as important as anything else in this mm -hmm. team. And get it done. Yeah, they they really pressed. They really tried to get that goal. My my concern is start talking about the Pizella foul, which should not have happened. How Brazil are up one nothing and allow a four v four in the hundred sixteenth minute is is astonishing to me. Like they they it's not like they were even just throwing a bunch of bodies forward, still trying to score. Like they were like relatively sitting back, but how they managed to allow a four v four there and then allow the the big target man striker to get that sort of freedom in the box. I, I understand it's a deflected strike, but just to afford that sniff to Croatia, it was their only shot on target in the match. But just the 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 tournament play here, you you have to understand your job is done if you sit back there and 
that's a really bad goal to, for Brazil to concede, concede. And I think that's going to haunt that Brazilian team yeah. for a very long time because this one should not have even gone to PKs. Like, full credit to Croatia, 100%, for pushing for that, for, for creating that. And honestly, there was a good chance where uh, I think Pekvic, Pekovic freed up Brozovic top of the box after some good individual play, which, which was a good opportunity that Brozovic skied over. Uh, but that's just a, a really bad one for Brazil to concede. Uh, Alex, what were your thoughts on the morning game? Yeah, I thought that, uh, I mean, you guys covered it very well, but essentially the same thing, that it was just this is a cruel sport sometimes because yeah. we're very, very deserving to go through. Um, we have now been deprived of the dream semifinal matchup between Brazil and Argentina, which is just, I mean, the neutral really lost today. Like, you know, from just a pure fan's perspective, I think we really lost out all not to – you know, not to take anything away from Croatia, obviously, 2018 finalists and stuff, but it sucks that it's not going to be Brazil-Argentina in the semis. Um, should be Brazil-Argentina in the semis. I think Argentina was a better team today. Brazil were the better team today. One thing I didn't like for Brazil, I thought maybe uh, hurt them a little bit, was the fact that Danilo was playing on the left as a right-footed player, and I think I thought that made them a little bit too narrow in their approach. It kind of took away their ability to swing those crosses in from out wide. So I just, I didn't really love that. Um, I thought that held them back a little bit, but ultimately they created more than enough to win. Lavakovic is not yeah. even that good of a keeper. And all of a sudden he's got like the John Del Thomason or the Milan Baros in him where he's like incredible for the national team. And he's just, <laughs> you know, he's just average for club. I couldn't believe the performance he put in obviously. And then again, in penalties. So really stole this game for them. Uh, Kudos to anyone that had him to win the uh, the Golden Glove because there were some decent prices hanging around before the game, and I think he's a pretty heavy favorite now. Yeah, I, I think we've done a bit of an injustice here having not talked about him yet. I just think so much has happened today. But yeah, Lavakovic, he's won quite a bit with his club, uh, albeit maybe you don't like, I mean, I respect we don't consider him maybe one of the world's best goalkeepers. He looked like it today, and when it gets to a fixture like this, if a goalie has a day like this where, you know, it kind of reminded me of Tim Howard in the 2014 World Cup where the U.S. don't win that match, but 14 saves like a heroic sort of performance. You don't need to be the best goalie to, to have a day like that. Ochoa against Brazil at that same World Cup. And Lavakovic had that today. There weren't really any, like, outstanding saves, like ones that he just ripped out of the net, essentially. But he was there. He was a brick wall for most of the game. He did his job. Absolutely came up big in the penalty shootout as well. Uh, going to the penalty shootout, so I, I talked about this on Twitter. Neymar does not shoot a PK. He is their number one penalty taker. Assumingly, he would have gone fifth. What's your guys' opinion on holding out your best players to take the most high-profile penalties because you want your best one to take the most pressure one, which could be the fifth one, whereas a team like England, what they did at the previous World Cup was they basically have a set order throughout the entire roster. Whoever's on the field, they know what order they're taking. The best one goes first, second one, second best goes second, and so on and so forth. Uh, let's go to Paul, first of all. Do you think maybe that should have been the focus? Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. easy to say it here, but maybe your opinion on what your approach should be for a club or, or a country going into a shootout. If there's a percentage possibility that the player won't hit a penalty because it won't get to PK5, that's ludicrous. He's got to hit one of the first three. Like, Coop Miners is one of the best penalty takers in the Dutch squad by a mile. I think his mm -hmm. record is, is absolutely superb. I don't think he's ever missed one. I th yeah, I th he's, he hit PK3 right in the middle because no matter what scenario comes, he's going to get to hit one. This, this idea that your star player gets the glory by scoring PK5, is such a Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo thing to do. It's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. And Messi's always, I think since 2014, I believe, I think Messi's always hit first. 
Um, I could be wrong about that. I think I know he missed in the Copa America in yeah. 2017 against the US, but um, certainly you get you get you front load the, the order with the guys that are comfortable hitting penalties. I mean, it's, it's it sounds um, obvious to say, but leaving a guy like Neymar to the end when when Rodrigo, you watched every single step that Rodrigo took up, you can tell that guy's not hit many penalties. Come on, he hasn't, and and it was ex- and, and the execution showed that he hasn't hit many penalties. So like. Neymar's got to go up first. And not, and not only that, the, the good penalty takers set an example for everybody else because on the on the opposite side of it, Martinez made Messi's job so much easier for him in, in the Argentina game because he saves and Messi's just swaggering up against a pretty much a rookie goalkeeper. Yeah. And the immediate psychological swing is in Argentina's favour in, in that respect. And I think Brazil totally missed a trick by allowing Neymar to go ultimately not to hit PK5. I, I would always front load my order. So with Messi, he did miss one in the Copa America final against Chile as well. He did not go. He, he took it early. I don't know if he went first, but he took it early enough where he was one of the early takers. And that's a, a I guess it's not, a, a, I wouldn't say a rare miss because he has missed quite a few, but I'd front load for sure. Alex, are uh, you kind of on the same page as us here? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the thing is like, you're relieving the pressure on the later guys by having your best right. guys go first, assuming they take care of their job. Right. And at the end of the day, the fifth penalty, it's, it's not about the pressure. It's entirely about glory, in my opinion, because, yeah. I mean, there's the, there, there's pressure on every single one of these kicks, whether you're first, second, third, fourth, fifth. I don't think it matters, you know, unless you're – even if you're up 2 nothing, 3 nothing in the shootout, there's pressure on you to, to end it as opposed to, you know, letting the other team hang in there. So I don't think the pressure changes based on the kick. It's just about someone wanting the glory. And, I, I yeah, I'm fully with you guys. I hate that. Um, put your best guys first. Take the pressure off the later guys and maybe your worst penalty takers by – you know, scoring those first ones and getting that advantage early. So Paul said it was a Cristiano Ronaldo thing. In the 2012 Euros, uh, this exact same thing happened to Ronaldo as Portugal lost to Spain in the semifinals. Spain went on to win the tournament. Ronaldo did not take his PK because he wanted to go fifth. So yeah, get him early. Let a guy like Eric Dyer get the winning one, get, get the fifth one. That, that's, that's, how, uh, that's what happened to England. And England possibly could be involved with another shootout tomorrow, but we won't get ahead of ourselves here. We'll go with the, the morning fixture. And uh, if, if the fixtures tomorrow are anything like today, we have ourselves quite a day here. Portugal playing against Morocco. I, we've made quite a lot about Cristiano Ronaldo. It doesn't look like he's going to start. I, I personally don't want to focus. Like I want to focus on the players, like the other players, because Portugal were so good in that match. Um, we, we like talking about Ronaldo, but like I, I'd rather focus on like the game plan with the players that are likely going to be starting the game here against Morocco. Uh, so let's go to Paul, first of all. Your thoughts on this one and maybe any possibility of approaching this from a betting perspective? Yeah, this is, this is a tough one, I think. Um, I don't think Morocco will be anywhere near as bad defensively as Switzerland were um, the other night mm. to allow Portugal so much space to go and play. Um, I, I think that their, their, their defensive record speaks for itself. One one goal conceded in what eight games is it now? So including a shootout, by the way. Yeah. So yeah. you are you're edging into to territory here where Portugal are going to be asked to come and play. And on the occasions they've been asked to come and play in this tournament, particularly I'm thinking first half against Ghana or first sixty minutes against Ghana before that controversial Ronaldo penalty. They didn't look great. They didn't look great at breaking down teams. And I know that teams work their way into a tournament and I know they'll be full of confidence with a renewed, refreshed attacking approach, assuming that, that Ramos retains his position up front, which I think he will. It's not always it's not always as easy as that. And I think that Morocco's defensive capabilities will make this one an extremely close one. And 
I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if this one went all the way as well. Um, I'm thinking maybe 0-0 zero, zero or 1-1 or, or here as, as maybe a correct score, score better, maybe under 2.5. I just think that Morocco will do what they do best and be very solid defensively and ask Portugal to come and break them down. The only thing I would say is Portugal had a pretty easy game. Morocco went 120 minutes and I think Roman's, Roman size has got a hamstring injury, which means he might not be fit for this one. So they might have to shuffle some stuff around. So from that perspective, it could take its toll a little bit in terms of them having to play more minutes when Portugal, 60 minutes in, that game is done and they, they, could, they could rest up. So maybe that could play a factor later on in the game. So maybe there's, could, there could be angles on draw half-time, Portugal full-time here as well. I do think Portugal will get it done in the end because I think they are, despite the fact that my reservations about Santos as a coach and I'd also the ability to build around Ronaldo. We've, we've solved one problem, Ronaldo's not playing. And, and fair play to the coach for doing that. But tactically, I'm just not sure about other elements of, of his style. I, I still think Rafa Leal should be playing every minute of, yep. of the tournament. I just don't understand why he's not. So it'll be interesting to see how the start 11 plays out. But I, my angle is definitely going to be low scoring, maybe 0-0 half-time in Portugal to win um, in, in, in full-time and maybe the, the draw half-time uh, draw half-time um, Portugal wins full-time markets, stuff like that. Or maybe I might just go for a correct score and maybe just take a point on 1-1 one, one, one because I could totally see this one going, going, uh, going the distance. So we're going to pull up the Betfred odds screen here to showcase just the this, this straight bets on this one. Portugal's a minus 145. Uh, we did our last show on Tuesday where that was the exact same. So market has stayed relatively similar. Uh, if you kind of look around, there's been a little bit of buyback on Morocco overall, but it stayed relatively, relatively similar here. Um, away, uh, looking at to advance, Portugal's minus 335. So humongous favorites here. I, I'm a, I feel a little bit differently here. I think Morocco defended heroically against Spain. I thought Spain still had the chances to, to probably win that match. And uh, beyond the Saiz injury, there's also the, the race to get fit for uh, Aguer, the other center back. I, I don't know if I said that correctly, but both center backs dealing with some injury issues. So... Uh, for me, this is a play that I've already made, and I spoke it on Tuesday. I, I think Portugal to win a 90 at that price looks pretty good here. Uh, I can understand thinking that Morocco, like the way they've defended the tournament, absolutely. They've conceded one goal. They did not even concede in the shootout, which you know, doesn't talk about the game, but just a, a ridiculous stat about the, the lack of goals that the goalkeeper has conceded there. Alex, your thoughts on how you want to approach this one? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a bit more with Paul here in the sense where, you know, I talked about this the other day where I thought that maybe overcoming those 120 minutes would be a bit much for Morocco. Um, Saiz and Aguerd are both in training, both appear fine, both appear on track to start. So I don't think there's a concern there. If you're going to be backing Morocco, I would probably wait for confirmation with the lineup for sure. Yes. Um, but, I mean, I went back and watched some of that game too. A lot of that defending was somewhat straightforward for them. They, they weren't necessarily chasing the ball around too much. They just kind of held their shape. And, you know, Spain were just unable to sort of threaten them. And Portugal are going to have to now kind of do the same thing and be invited to break them down. And I just, I think that they are, that we, I mean, we talk about teams like Croatia. We see how they've done, you know, so far. Morocco are very similar in the sense that they just have such a good understanding for one another. And, you know, I think they just, they communicate so well off the ball and they're just able to make life difficult on teams. Um, that back line has been tremendous. Amrabat's been un unbelievable. And, oh you know, with, with Portugal having to actually be the ones now to show the initiative and, like, to get forward and to attack this game, um, I think that, you know, I think that they're going to have a bit of trouble here. It's not going to be as straightforward as it was against Switzerland. You know, Hakimi and Mizrawi. Mizrawi was taken off uh, 
you know, not too late into that semifinal, into that uh, round of 16 games. So he should be relatively fit. I'm sure he'll provide a lot going forward. I wonder if they'll give uh, Ezalawi uh, a bit more of a, an opportunity off the bench too, to kind of showcase his stuff, offer a bit more of a threat going forward. But Portugal have looked vulnerable defensively. There have been times where teams, when teams do get after them, they have been able to break them down a little bit. They, they have conceded chances. It's whether Morocco will take them or not, but I just think at this price, um, I think that, you know, Morocco on the uh, the double chance is a decent look. And assuming that, you know, their lineup is at full strength tomorrow, that's probably where I'll, I'll end up. So a plus 115 on the on the Morocco or draw there, the double chance market, an interesting look over there. So uh, me and Alex going to be on opposite sides potentially for this one. So that provides some interesting conversation the next time we reconvene, because, of course, um, we won't be going live over the weekend, so we'll be going live. Well, we'll probably tweet out some sort of schedule here. Uh, we might do a stream before the semifinals that leads into those matches, even though even though there may not be a match to necessarily recap. We'll just be we'll just be wanting to do those previews. So some interesting content, interesting content ahead over there. But that's that's how we all feel about Portugal Morocco. I think it's going to be a vastly entertaining game, regardless. Once you get to the quarters, it's anybody's turn at that point. Even for like a team that Morocco were like Morocco, excuse me, who were not favored, obviously, to get to this point. It, anything can happen, as we've seen throughout the fixture so far. Um, really, honestly, anything can happen here. So let's move now into probably the biggest fixture, and this is England playing against France, two historic nations here. I am English. I'm going to try to withhold my bias as much as possible. I'm going to say right away, not betting on this one. I am just going to sit back and support England and do whatever I can as a person with no influence on the game whatsoever to try and will England to victory here to move on to the semifinals here. Paul, probably feeling the opposite of me as it comes to the English here. Paul is Scottish, if you couldn't tell from his accent. Uh, let's, let's say uh, your thoughts on this match and the English and uh, any way you want to approach this from a betting perspective. Well, usually for a game like this, like, I don't like to place a bet on it either, but someone's got to place a bet or else this is pretty pointless. So, um, <laughs> anyway, I I don't know. I, I've been hot on England since the start of this tournament, as you guys know. I think I think the, the, the I, I'm a Scotsman living in England that I've, I've lived down here for about 10 years now, and the pervading attitude around about the a national team maybe 20 years ago was one about how good they were and how superior they were to other teams and I think because they got stung so many times by that attitude it almost flipped reversed on itself to the point where this current generation are underrated by the general public a lot more than they really should be because I think they're a really good team and I think I think they quite clearly now should be one of the favourites to win this thing now to me the X factor here is, is Mbappe obviously um, I think what happens with Mbappe in this game makes or breaks what happens. Um, I think when you talk about guys like Messi and Ronaldo, there's other elements around those guys that can also shape how the match plays out. Like, I don't think, for example, that the Argentina game tonight was all about Messi. I think there's other moving parts. Whereas in the case of this game, if Mbappe's on his form, I don't think there's any stop in France. I don't think there's any stop in France winning the tournament if he plays like he's done in the last couple of matches here. So, so it's really the Mbappe X factor that, that's worth betting on. And if you feel confident enough that you think Mbappe's going to have a good game, get on him on the first goal scorer market, get on him anytime. Because if, if you think that he's going to play to his, his potential, he can score against anyone. So that's probably a kind of small stakes bet for me will be Mbappe to score first, maybe or Mbappe anytime market. Just because 
I can never bring myself to bet England to win the game, even though I do think that they're really good. Um, but also, I, I, I'm not entirely convinced by the rest of the French staff around them. They have conceded goals in every match in this tournament so far. Um, they're not as solid defensively without Pogba and Kante, who are obviously injured in that central area. And I, I see people say that that's gave them a different dynamic and, and it's benefited them, and I agree with that. But also, Kante is one of the best defensive midfielders of the 21st century. So you take a guy like that out of the team, sure, many has the potential to become something like that in the future. He's not quite there yet. So the fact that France still looks so good to having to shuffle so much stuff around is testament to the, the strength and depth that they've got. But the 1-2x market, I, don't, I, I genuinely don't know. This one could go anyway, but um, Mbappe just looks imperious right now. So if I'm going to try and predict something that's going to happen, I have to try and predict the fact that Mbappe is going to continue this form. So I'm going to try and get on him either anytime, first goal scorer, or maybe a combination of both. Understandable on Mbappe. As far as like the matchup here, France have been conceding goals. England haven't been making many chances, but they've been scoring those chances that they are getting. Uh, as as far as Mbappe, uh, from, from an English perspective here, I don't think there's anybody in the world you'd rather have on him than Walker, just at a sheer pace. Walker is not, he's shown many times to me that he's not an exceptional defender. He's just so bloody fast. Um, I can't think of a better matchup for Mbappe, though it's still not probably a very good one. And Mbappe, if he's at his best, is going to make a mockery of Walker at fullback there. On the England side of thing, Chuamani, yeah, you were sp- you speak about how he's not quite there yet. He's a good player. And Rabio, who I was down on pre-tournament, has actually had quite a good tournament, in my opinion. But overall, I- Foden and Bellingham have the stuff to unlock this French team. Before making any wage, if you are going for England, I would just... Make sure 100% Southgate actually starts Phil Foden because Sterling's back with the squad. I, maybe he rotates. I don't know. Um, Southgate, for all the criticism I have for him, he wins tournament matches. He got to the final of the Euros. He got to the semifinal of a World Cup. Like that, that just hasn't happened in like 50 odd years with this English team. It happened in 96. They got to uh, the semis against, against Germany. But like England just don't get this far. Granted, He's never played a team as good as this French team, in my opinion. And this is a real test. Alex, any way you want to approach this one? Last time you were a bit afraid. Has anything I changed? I was. I, you know what? A little bit. Um, I'm leaning towards being on England in some capacity here. Um, not on the, you know, the three-way market and the 90-minute market. I'm thinking maybe an England to advance ticket because I do feel good about England if this, you know, we talked about this last show, if this does get to penalties, you know, even an extra time, I I, I do feel better about them beyond the 90. Um, I think that, you know, for France, we're sort of, we're praising them so much already. And, you know, they have had a great tournament, but like England have not played anyone in this tournament either. But you look at France's opposition in, you know, Australia, a miserable Denmark team at this go around Tunisia (laughs) and then Poland, who we were so down on after the group stage for their performance. And really like they've been conceding a lot of chances. Um, And England are the type of team we talked about. They haven't created a whole lot, but they have been clinical in front of goal. And they have that ability up top with guys like Saka, with guys like, you know, um, Harry Kane and whoever else is up there to, to, you know, to make France pay for that. And I think that, we're going to see them get some opportunities here. And I think they can make France pay um, in terms of Mbappe, obviously in incredible form right now. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated for this match in general because neither of these teams have really truly played anyone in this tournament so far. And they're both coming off just miserable appearances in the nation's league where uh, like they were, they were both these teams were atrocious. I think England got relegated. Um, 
you know, uh, France were France were very poor themselves too against you know Austria and Cro- uh, Croatia and Denmark and stuff. So, I mean, this is going to be a, a really good test for both teams. I just think that this is a little bit more of a toss-up than it's being priced as. And you know, France with the chances they've been conceding. Um, I think that England can make them pay and England have just been a little bit more sound defensively. Maybe that's down to the opposition they face, but you know, I just, I feel like they can really make France pay here. So I think that I will end up on England in some, some capacity here. I just haven't fully figured that out yet. As much as, add to that. Um, if this England team believe that they can go and do it, I think that they will. Yeah. I think that the, the, the thing about some tournament performances under Southgate is, there's, there has been an, an inherent lack of belief in some of them. I think the semi-final against Croatia and indeed the final of the Euros, um, where, where the team was in front on both occasions pretty early on, and Southgate's initial reaction was just to try and close out the match. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they have to close out matches. I think they've got a good enough team to smack them on a counter-attack and go and win it. And I think if this team really believes that it's got the capacity to, to go and play head-to-head against France, I think they've got a very, very, very good chance of going and winning the game. I, I kind of like that point there. And I, I think that comes with the, you know, the golden generation that just didn't do it. So this current generation maybe feels a little bit undeserving of that uh, to a degree. And I think that definitely played a role in that, that semifinal against Croatia where the Trippier free kick was stunning. But after that, England really didn't offer much in that game. Uh, that the, the finals in the Euros where Shaw scores like three minutes in, like the, it just wasn't, neither of them, I mean, high stakes situations usually don't get great games. But I think that just plays on the fact that maybe the players feel a little bit undeserving there. We'll see if that changes here because they've been to a semis. They've been to a final at a major tournament. Maybe they, they believe in themselves. Where I could see things maybe going wrong for England, like, like Maguire and Stones, mostly Maguire. Like I, I believe that they are the right center-back pairing. Number one, they have a great relationship despite being on the other side of the Manchester derby. You can see like after the derby, they always are buddy-buddy with each other, which... Maybe Roy Keane doesn't like very much, but it's great for England. Maguire always plays well for England. Looks shaky on the ball against Senegal. Once England scored the first goal, he kind of settled down. But I think that's the best partnership. And I think they're well-suited to, to defending a player like Olivier Giroud, who, who obviously does not have the pace in his game. One interesting one, I wanted to kind of go to you, Paul, because you're so in tune with this Barcelona team. Uh, Koundé at right back, I, I see as an English supporter a really good opportunity for Foden to take advantage of. And I don't think the French media have been convinced of him in that position. Uh, do you see, he's obviously a great player, great center back. Do you see any sort of weakness of him playing as the fullback here amidst the injuries? Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I like Koundé a lot as well, but it's, it's not his natural position. Um, he hasn't actually played that much this season in terms of overall minutes, which could be a benefit, but also the fact that he's not, he's not played as a collective back four um, for as much of the time as he would like. And I, I just do. Th- I agree with the consensus that the, the back four of France is gettable across the the capacity of it. I, I think that if England believe that they can go and attack them, then they can. There's pace in multiple positions. Bellingham is drifting into the game from from so deep that he's drifting off players that they, that the runs need to be tracked. Kane's dropping into the ten position, allowing Whitecross to push forward. Yeah, I, I, like to, even to your point about Foden. I mean, my, my only concern about Sterling would be that he's been on a flight to the UK and then back because of everything that happened with his, with his family and that, that horrible break-in. That's a, a tough journey to traverse in the middle of a tournament. I think he only got back to this morning or, or yesterday night. So that's, that's something that will weigh in Southgate's mind. And I think, I think it would, if it was up to Southgate, he would probably want to start Sterling. 
but I think he'll be forced to play Foden just because of those circumstances. Forced. By the way, that's 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 totally an insane conversation. We're talking about one of the greatest English players of his generation here, and we're trying to shoehorn them into the team. It's nuts. Like the guy's great, so I wouldn't have any concerns about it. <clears throat> just get a situation where he's isolated against Kunde, get the overlap, and and they can cause serious problems on that side of the pitch as well. And also, you're talking 65, 70 minutes. You bring on Rashford, one of the fa- one of the fastest yeah. players around as well. Multiple options, and and that's that's the thing that um, I I don't think Brazil really took enough of advantage of in this tournament. I think that that Chiche, when he made changes, he just made like for like changes to to bring in somebody who he thought was a lesser talent in that position. So he takes off Rafinha at fifty five minutes. Yeah, he puts Anthony. Nothing changes really. The, the system, the dynamic doesn't change. Whereas when when England have the capacity to make changes, it changes the dynamic of everything. Because Rashford obviously and Foden are not the same player. Uh, you can switch Saka to that side and move Foden over that side. They can bring Grealish, Watson up top. So many tactical options at, at his disposal with other teams, even France, just don't have. So if this game plays out like we think it will, um, England have got every chance to go and attack in multiple positions with those great players that they have. I'm, I'm kind of worried here. You're making me like England too much going into tomorrow <laughs> here. I'm convincing myself now. You're, you're, making me, you're making me nervous here because... I'm kind of like the English team. I don't want all this. I, I don't feel like uh, we should be deserving of, of being a team that's threatening France like this, but but apparently we are. Oh, my God, I'm so nervous. You guys, honestly, no idea. Okay, we're going to finish off here. I'm going to force you guys to pick winner, and we're going to force you guys to pick method of victory here. I'll go first to make it a little bit easier. Morning game, Portugal inside the 90, beat Morocco. Not by the 6-1, not comfortably, but I think they win like a, a short 1-0 game against Morocco here. Second one, no way I'm going to get on record saying England are going to win here. France in the 120 minutes does not get to penalties. France in the 120. Uh, some, one of their individual players, one of the, just individual moment gets it done in the second half of the 120. Very specific, but those are mine. Let's go to Alex, your side of this one. I will say uh, Portugal in extra time and England inside the 90. Interesting. Paul, your takes. I'll go, yeah, I'll go Portugal and under 2.5 goals, and I'll go England 2-1. England 2-1. So we have a Scotsman on fine margins talking <laughs> that England are going to get through against the mighty French team. Do not show this to anybody who lives in Scotland. <laughs> They're going to be coming at Paul on Twitter. You can find him at Paul MacDFC. Find Alex at Alex J. Moretto. You can find me at Jacob underscore Gamene. Guys, thanks so much for tuning into Fine Margin today. Very fun episode. Shout out to Paul for sticking through this. It is very late in England right now. Uh, it's 1040 local time there, 540 local for myself and Alex. But uh, when we have great World Cup games like this, I think it's more than worth the time to go and discuss them. Make sure you subscribe to the Fine Margins YouTube channel to get live streams all throughout the rest of the World Cup and betting previews for those. Look, as the tournament heats up, the content is only going to get better and better, so we want you guys to stay involved. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at Fine Martins, for updates on the show, like today, where it starts late because the game goes to extra time. to get all of those notifications over there on Twitter. And also, thank you to Betfred for sponsoring this segment. The Fine Margins channel is sponsored by the Betfred Sportsbook. Make sure you've signed up to Betfred for all of your sports betting needs throughout the World Cup and beyond. Two amazing fixtures tomorrow. Come on, England. We'll see you guys next time for some more content.